wanted by the writers and illustrators of the future. They've been providing a means for new and budding writers to have a chance for the creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. I am so happy to welcome back a dear friend of the show, Tom Conkle. He is a director, a writer, an actor. He's very talented. He's got a new show called Noise in the Middle. Also, he's got exciting news about his movie, Trouble is My Business. It's a really fun chat. Here's Tom. Hi, Tom. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, Sherry. It's always a pleasure to be on here. It's been a little while since we've talked. Yeah, it's been about a year, hasn't it? Yeah, it's sort of the lost year of 2020. <laughs> it's a horrible year. <laughs> the year where most people didn't get much done, and we didn't get an interview done, and that's okay. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it was a really so. strange time for me, too, because um, I didn't do as many interviews as I normally do. I kind of, like, put a lot of uh, the play radio plays from Cherry's Playhouse up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Congrats on the new radio play, by the way. The, uh, the the play turned out great, the one that you put up. The, um, which one? The one I did. With you. Oh, the one you did. Oh, yeah. It, it yeah. came out pretty good, didn't it? Yeah, it sounds terrific. I encourage everybody to take a listen. Joe Cronus, uh, Capture the Caesar. Yes. Very good stuff. Kind of fun sci-fi adventure. And he plays... Uh, I've been doing some radio. You'd be proud of me. What, did, what are you doing? Well, I grew out of the pandemic. Um, I wanted to get my creative juices and my writing and performing juices out. So I thought, okay, how do we do this, you know, and get people together. And I was talking to Curtis Bedford, uh, a good friend of mine I do things with. Uh, he's an actor as well. And we decided to produce something called the Mindstream Players. And the Mindstream Players is the experience of listening to a live radio show on Zoom where you can actually watch the performers performing it in real time, you know, performing the, uh, the show, and in some cases, live sound effects, live music being played by a, a musician. Um, two of the ones I'm most proud of are the most produced ones. For Christmas this past year, uh, I wrote an original thing with him. Um, some of the best comedy writing I've, I've had enjoyed writing in a long time called The Haunting of Ebenezer Scrooge or The Festivus Incident. <laughs> and the Festivus Incident, yeah. The Festivus Incident is sort of a Monty Python deconstruction of the Scrooge story. And it gave me a great chance to bring in a bunch of friends that used to be in a sketch troupe called The Twap that I used to perform live with for about 10 years. And we all did it as a Victorian British half-hour show. Uh, and it ended up uh, just getting this amazing audience. It's on Instagram, on Mindstream Players. Um, it got picked up on Spotify. So it's like you can listen to it or you can watch it on YouTube. You can watch us performing it. But it has full sound effects and music and... Um, I think it's just a really fun, hopefully it will become kind of an annual thing that people are like, have you seen this crazy half-hour Christmas, you know, version of Scrooge that completely deconstructs Scrooge? Uh, that was a lot of fun. And for Halloween, I did Dracula. Uh, and that's what we produced. It, 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 it was so much fun to go back. It's way more uh, true to the original text or like, you know, when Orson Welles would do a... Uh, a radio show in the 30s. Mm-hmm. It's much more like that with overlapping time changes. Uh, it's a serious piece, 
and it has a full mix of sound and sound effects and stuff uh, that is also by the Mindstream players. So if you get a chance, or I'd love if you could link to it, um, the Dracula and Ebenezer Scrooge is using the medium of Zoom and you know the fact that we're all kind of creative but stuck in our various houses to bring us all together and you get the feeling of watching a something performed right before your eyes but the feeling of going to a, like an old radio show taping. That's cool. I love that. I yeah. love I love yeah. everything radio. I, I have some yeah. when I was a little girl I used to um they used to have a TV series called Jack Benny and I loved yeah, it. I remember the Jack Benny show, yeah. And my mom would Rochester. say Rochester. He would exactly my mom Rochester. said he was on the radio. And I go, I can't imagine yep. it on the radio. And my dad goes, oh, yes, you can. And he bought me tapes of the Jack yeah. Danny show. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. He, Jack Benny was a master. You know, and one thing I really learned that was interesting is in going back, and sometimes I would do public domain scripts from public domain subjects like uh, The Shadow or, you know, Flash Gordon. So did the very first ever episode of Flash Gordon again from the early 1930s and it was fun to put yourself back in that mindset, look at the way it was written, how it was performed, try to capture the spirit of it. I had the most fun doing The Shadow because, you know, I've got the can to my mouth, you know, oh no, <laughs> and I did uh, Murders in Wax, which was one of the ones that Orson had done and it was so much fun to bring together you know, these talented actors that were friends or friends of Curtis's. And in that case, we were creating live sound effects, like someone was actually foleying, you know, the footsteps and the doors and the gunshots. And we had this guy named Brian Arada who was playing piano to it. So it really felt like you were doing a, a, a radio show in the 30s. That's really cool. Did you, yeah. you, did, you kind of robbed us, Tom. You didn't do the shadow laugh. <laughs> You have to watch the show. Yeah, the, well, that's because you know, I didn't grow up during that time, but my father and mother used to talk about their radio watching. That was yeah. one of my father's favorite shows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, then check out The Shadow on uh, Mindstream. I play The Shadow in it, and uh, it was so much fun. And with the with the uh, the character, you have so much fun with the voice and everything. It it it, it taught me a lot and got me reconnected things that I love like you. I love radio and, and just, you know, that kind of storytelling. I love pulp stories like that. So it, it was definitely a good creative outlet when things were kind of grim in 2020 and I couldn't, you know, perform live shows or I couldn't do movies or couldn't be, you know, shooting TV shows or commercials. It was some outlet. You know, it forced me to write, it forced me to perform, and for that it was healthy. But the two that I'm most, most proud of are the two, uh, you know, The Haunting of Ebenezer Scrooge, Festivus Incident, and uh, uh, Dracula, I think, turned out incredibly well. It's sad because I had a big birthday this year, and mm -hmm. I did not get to... All I wanted to do was go to a play at the Globe. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I and I, I couldn't because they're not they're not uh, performing. It's not there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's there yeah. and it's going to come back. I mean, because it's part it, about Bowl yeah, of Yeah, I mean, there's no show to go to. There's exactly. No show there. There's no thing at the Hollywood Bowl. There's nothing. There's no there to go to. I know. And I didn't want. My, I didn't want a party. I didn't want. Any, I didn't even want anything. I wanted to go to dinner with my brother and go see a play. That was my entire yep. thing. That's it. 
know. I know. Uh, yeah, so many birthdays, so many events just uh, went by in 2020. It was a, it was definitely a, a, a big reflective time for me of all the changes and how fragile so many things are. And I certainly, when I come out on the other side of this, I'm going to appreciate uh, the things you can do communally, the experience of seeing a movie together, the experience of doing a play and having an audience or even auditioning with actual people in the room with me. I'm going to relish in a way I don't think I ever would have without, you know, the world just becoming so quiet and so empty. It's sad. And it's and I was thinking yeah. also about like the high school kids that they don't get to go to prom, they don't go they don't I get know. a vice uh, versa dances, yeah. they don't they don't get to uh, the ones who are graduating but, but yeah. don't get a graduation, they don't get a, have a grad night. Uh, first no, day. They don't get to socialize. Yeah, they don't get to socialize. They don't even get the experience of doing community service for their college. Yeah. You know, to, 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 to volunteer to do community service, it's like that's gone. Um, my own son is, you know, he's an only child, so he's been without his friends since March of last year. Uh, he's bubbled with two people that agreed not to see anybody else, but other than that, he hasn't seen another boy his age and been able to interact with them and do stuff with them and he played tennis and he never got the you know he played one tennis game and they shut the schools down last year and that was it he only ever got one game after a year of practice you know and and they still they're just now thinking about doing games so he lost an entire year he, he left his high school as a freshman and he will step back into his high school as a junior is that weird the whole thing is strange yeah. Uh, yeah, the seniors got robbed. The seniors got so robbed. Many. Just yeah, robbed. Not, you, you can't go back. It's not Even a reunion is not the same experience as graduating with your friends or going to, you know, a dance or, or having a club after school or, you know, practicing or, you know, playing in a, in a band, you know, the musical instrument, all that stuff. Yeah, because now they're all going to go away to college and not see each other. So they, they literally miss that goodbye year. Because there'll be a generation that talks about it for the rest of their lives. Be like, oh, were you around when, you know, nobody was able to graduate from, you know, high school together, and you didn't, you didn't see each other. It's like the boys and the girls don't even see each other. I know. It's it's crazy. I mean, they we have the thing is the internet's great. It's a great communications device. It keeps us sane. To be honest, it does. It keeps us sane, yeah. but it's not the same as being with people. We're no. we're we're, yeah. we're people who need well, people who need people. I feel like Barbara Streisand. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's not tactile. It's not the smell. It's not. It's not touching another person. It's not. It's not reading subtle body language cues. It's. It's a very flat. You know. If you looked at kids' Instagrams, you'd think they're great. Even the depressed ones, you'll look at, oh, no, they're great. Well, they're great at taking selfies. They're great at looking like everything's okay, but, but that's for that one second that it ends up on social media or that that's the face that they give each other when they're on a phone call for five minutes. But when I was growing up, you played with your friends for hours mm-hmm. and talked about life and about stuff, and you could look at their face or the way they held their body and you knew something was wrong. It's like something wrong with your parents or you having trouble with something or whatever. Now it's not the same talking while you're playing a video game, and, they, and it's like, hey, how's so-and-so doing? Uh, I heard he broke his arm. He did? 
well, you just were on, you know, for seven hours playing Minecraft with him. Oh, yeah, we never mentioned it. And it's like, you don't really know your friends. All you know is, hey, let's go over here and build this, you know. <laughs> it's not the same because it's you're, they're selectively showing each other what they want to show, and you're never getting the full picture. And so we're raising a generation with the pandemic exacerbating it. We're raising a generation that doesn't have the interpersonal skills or the subtleties or the uh, the less gratification. I, I was reading they were, you know, when you get a ding or something on your phone or a text, it releases dopamine. You're like, oh, somebody texted me. Oh, there's a call or something. But in real life, you don't get that. You, you have to interact with someone over a period of time. You have to sit in the car with them. You have to play out back. You have to walk around. You have to ride your bikes together. And you don't get that dopamine. So you go, ah, it's kind of boring. You know, or I, I'm not really interested in people. Or I don't really, you know, they don't talk. You know, it's like, I think that coming out of the pandemic, we have to examine the idea of a balance in social media or also the social connectedness, but also just technology. Without technology, we could not have done anything that we did to stay open. But mm -hmm. ironically, I think we stayed isolated longer because technology let us do this. You know, if we knew we couldn't go back to school at all, you couldn't do lessons at all, you could not do business at all, we may have taken it more seriously at the beginning and shut down and gotten back to work and back to business. But because this let it prolong, it's like, well, I can do my meetings on Zoom or I can work from home. Well, in the 80s, you couldn't work from home. You know, you just could, you couldn't take a phone call and a video and do those things. You couldn't send uh, emails with attachments. You couldn't do all these things. You couldn't have school at home with everybody on a computer. It, you just couldn't. But you can now. But is it a better way? Mm, I don't know. I see all the, you know, can you imagine keeping a poor little third grader trying to sit in front of a computer for seven hours a day trying to do their homework and they don't get to color, they don't get to sit with their friends, they don't get to do artwork and paint, they don't get to put stuff up on the wall. No, they're sitting in their dining room table staring at a computer screen with the teacher saying, be quiet, everybody, and pay attention. And that's it. You I know. know. It, 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 that's the reality. I know. I th it's kind of, it's been this way for a while. I think more people are seeing it now. But yes. I remember this was in, I think it was, I was with my dad. So it was like around 2000, and we were working in the same company. And one thing he couldn't stand was people staring at their phones. Uh, and we, the, he goes, watch, when the elevator opens, there will be not one person who will look up. And we, the elevator opened, and not one person, they were all staring down, and their face were lit up by their phones. That's right. And it's, so it's been I, like this for quite a while. Yeah. I think so, too. I have pictures of birthdays or things we get together, and he, uh, uh, all the teenagers are sitting at the table spending time together and all of them have their backs to each other looking at their phone and they're playing Pokemon. They're playing it together, but they're playing with the ne person next to them and not looking at them or touching them or interacting. They were only interacting with each other through the phone four feet apart from each other. Uh, and that, that was them spending time together. And at the end of the thing, I was like, so how was Fred? And it's like, I don't know. Uh, anyway, we caught these things on, uh, we caught four Pokemon, and I'm like, so you didn't talk to him? You didn't see him at his birthday? I don't, yeah, I guess. Was he happy about his birthday? I don't know. And it's like, but you just spent four hours with him. It's like, but they spent four hours sitting at a table all looking at the same game. That's the thing. That's another thing that really 
when we were young and we went to a coffee house, we sat, we 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 talked with the opposite sex, we flirted, yeah, we drank course. coffee, like right? right. Yeah. We 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 talked, uh, we we talked with our, you talked with the boys, I talked with the girls. It was like, like really yeah. now now before this happened, if you um let let's say 2019, you went to Starbucks. You wouldn't see one person talking to anything other than either their phone or their tablet. Yes. And that's a big, big problem. It's not as fun. I don't really understand why people are so obsessed. I think it's addictive. I really do. I think the reward, the dopamine award of getting the ding of like, oh, I got a text or I got a like or I'm playing a game. The, the games and things give so much immediate stimulus that a human being can't compete with it. Real life has boring parts that you're supposed to power through and pay attention, or there's there's a slower reward to really sitting. You know, I remember as a kid, I used to sit in my bedroom with my friends. We'd talk, mm-hmm. spend hours. We'd listen to music mm-hmm. together, but then we'd talk about life, or we might go for a walk or play in the front yard, you know, just hang out and do something in the front yard. And I would argue, I don't think I've ever seen my son quote-unquote play, like run around or throw a ball or do something in my front yard his entire life. Wow. Like, no one goes outside and just plays. It's always like, okay, I'm going to jump onto Switch, we're going to play a game of Call of Duty, and we'll just, uh, we'll have a group chat on that while we're doing it, and they may play music into a headphone, but they'll do that for eight hours and never see each other. You know, and so for them, the pandemic is just an extension of that. Only now they really can't see each other. I you know, but 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 the idea of you know, I used to play in my backyard, and I mean, even when I was like fifteen, sixteen, I had a basketball thing and play out back and thing. They never go out back and do that. I I've think that's never, sad, Tom. Them do that, yeah, yeah. I really do. I think it's sad. I mean, when I was a little girl, <laughs> you're gonna laugh at me. This is a long time ago. <laughs> I lived um, uh, in a different state, and um, I was pretty friendly with the people on my block. I wasn't very friendly with people at school, but I was very friendly with the people that was on my little block. And what we did during the summer, uh, my parents were very smart. We moved in during the summer, so that's why I was very friendly with my neighbors and the people on the block, because all the kids were out playing, and we went out and played, and we, we got bonded during that period. So, mm-hmm. I was very creative, I guess. I took my carpenter's <laughs> record, <laughs> and I said, you guys, let's use uh, the carpenters and put on a show for our parents. And I said, and, and we can, like, charge, like, a penny. And <laughs> doing this stuff. I was, like, nine. And, and they were all go, okay, that sounds like fun. And we, like, that's what we did. We, like... We took the music from my Carpenter's record, and we we we, we created incre- incredible entire scenarios. And we we uh, we had like um, one of the kids had um, old curtains that were just thrown off their thing, so they put it up as a curtain. And our parents all came, right. and our brothers and sisters and watched us. <laughs> and our parents <laughs> laughingly put a penny into our penny, please, a uh, penny into our little cup. And I think we made 10 cents, but we were really excited. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but we were being creative. We were having fun. You were having fun. 
supposed to do, and you're supposed to have a slower kind of build of imagination and not have, you know, the idea of sitting and reading a book and, and, and having it revealed to you over a couple of days and you enjoy the, um, enjoy the story unfolding is so much different than, like, the instant gratification that you get on social media or the one-minute Instagram video story. You know, everyone watches TikTok, you know, which is, like, you know, two minutes and you're done. It's like, well, but also there's Lawrence of Arabia. There's also these other, and it makes, you know, it's not an old fuddy-duddy thing. It's a, we should also demand something of our entertainment and our entertainment should ask something of us. It's like, hey, pay attention. There is something richer than just, you know, the superficial enjoyment of, oh, that's funny. He, he fell against the door and then he fell on the ground and then there was some goofy music and then you're out. Okay, that's TikTok. But then there's these other things where it's like, well, let it ask something of you. It may have deeper meanings, or every time you watch it, you might find something new, or it might be about life, or it may not be easy to get the very first time, but it's not supposed to be. Well, there's also a generation you know, that won't watch black and white movies. I know. I, I don't I, I, understand I it. I mean, they're well, missing... My struggle, my movie. Yeah, it's trouble. black and white and color, and I cannot get a streaming service to put up the black and white intended version. They only took color. See, that makes me sad. Because think of all the movies. Bringing a Baby, Citizen Kane. um, uh, Out of the Past, Monty's Falcon, Casablanca. I was going to say Casablanca. Dr. Strangelove. Dr. Strangelove. Yes. Or Mr. Blanding builds his dream house. Or or Thin Man movies. Or yeah, how is it just because it's black and white? It, it means it's more dreamlike. It means it's more artistic in a way. How is it going to be that you just go, nope, forget about that. Anything before this, we just forget about our culture. We forget. It's like saying I won't read a book that's on a certain piece of paper. You know, it's like, well, no, this this paper is nothing like the newer paper. It's like, yeah, but it's still a good book. Who cares what paper it's on? If it's black and white, it's still humans. It's still a story. It's still it's even more dreamlike in black and white. Look at the artistry of it. Look at I intended my film to be in black and mm-hmm. white. Now I shot it where it could work in color. But black and white is the dreamlike quality of it. It's the otherworldly kind of you're dropping into this other world where not only is morals, you know grays and blue, you know black people white people all these you know this, this, just this kind of feeling of of immersion into a different world but the black and white was intentional and and it's used as part of the color palette it's like saying you'll only hang blue paintings in a museum it's like well it doesn't have blue in it and it's not art let's just forget about anybody that painted red you know it it, it really bothers me and, and I think the only thing that kind of changed you recently is something like Roma had yet enough clout to make that and get it on Netflix because Netflix at one point had a policy where they would put nothing in black and white streaming and then their own film they were kind of forced to take a black and white movie and it ends up you know winning all the awards and everything and like oh well maybe maybe we'll look at uh, some black and white or whatever and I'm like are you kidding me you know half the world's library of films are black and white well look at and, and even more modern, um, Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. Yes, yes. He, he he actually had to fight the studio to do it, but can you imagine it in color? No. Would it have been it effective? No, it would not have worked. And you know what? It, it, I'm, I'd be surprised if it's kept on streaming services. People would be like, oh, wait, this is black and white. You know, we have to take this down. 
But it's such okay, a brilliant it's movie. It's one of my, it's, I think it's my Blazing. It's Stables and, and Young Frankenstein fight for my favorite of Mel Brooks movies. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, they're they're just they're so funny and they're so well done and they're perfect within their genre. And it's sad to just have someone dismiss something because it's quote unquote it's black and white. You know, as if that's a bad thing. Or when did old stuff be mean it was bad? Exactly. You know? It's like, yeah, it's like, but some of everything eventually becomes old. So everything you think is really cool right now will be old. Does that mean mm-hmm. it's suddenly empirically or objectively bad once it's 20 years old? You yeah, know, I, it, think it, 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 I think that's why yeah. people really like period pieces like Downton Abbey or Miss Fisher mm-hmm. or things like yeah. that is because. It is. It, it's in color, but it's period. Yeah. It, it, it shows a different era. It gives people a taste. People are loving that. Don Abbey was the yeah. biggest hit PBS ever had. Ever it beat had. Pride yeah. and Prejudice, which was the biggest hit before then, yeah. by millions of viewers. Yes. And see, if you're listening, if, if the pocketbook is what's important, if your wallet is what they're after, why wouldn't you listen to that? It's like, hmm, people really enjoy classic entertainment. People really enjoy um, this kind of aesthetic from that period. Huh, maybe, maybe it's okay. Maybe there's some stuff. Huh, maybe I could deep dive. I wonder if there's other movies like this. I wonder if there's other stories that could be told. It's like if, you, if you're coming at it from a business standpoint, then it makes even less sense that people are like, oh, no, 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 you know, we, we don't like the period stuff, or we don't like the quote-unquote old stuff, or we never go to old novels or old stories. It's like, but your biggest hit was that. Exactly. You know, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. But, also but like it is frustrating. I, I actually just had a frustrating thing happen today, which is the only streaming version of black, uh, black and white version of Trouble Is My Business was on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And uh, somebody sent me a thing today saying it's currently unavailable. Amazon has taken down all the independent, they're taking down all independent features from Amazon Prime uh, just arbitrarily. They didn't even give a, a letter or anything. which just says this video is currently unavailable to watch. And so they basically cut off my business. Um, literally Trouble Is My Business. Yeah, and and they're no longer going to accept independent documentaries or short films for Amazon Prime. So there goes that, you know. And they built that business on our film. My film had been on there. It's an award-winning film, and it had, like, four stars. And it had been on there for three years, and today I I found out that it was taken down. It was taken down because they don't want to have independent films on there. And it was taken down because it's the black-and-white film. But the thing is, Tom, independent films are the only films left that have integrity. Yeah. Really? They don't want them. Yeah. They they simply don't want them. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big Agatha Christie fan. And Uh I love um, all the people who were in Murder on the Orient Express, the new one. But it -hmm. it can't compare to the one from the um, 70s with Albert Finney, not because of the actors, but because... It was styled so beautifully. It, the one that was the second one, it was. I'm not taking away from the direction. I think he did a really good direction. But uh-huh. I'm talking about. It was just. It was stylized in the period of the 30s when the thing took place. It was done really beautifully. 
and the new one was just so glitzy. Just like Death mm-hmm. on the Nile. I'm going to watch because I'm an Agatha Christie fan. But but it's good. It, from just the promos, it's all glitz. Yeah. It's like what they did to The Great Gatsby. Yeah, it was all a very much style, not quite tr- trusting the substance of the material. And, I mean, these are great stories. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why they keep doing them over and over and over again. I know. And I think the reason they have to make them more and more glitzy is the audience they're competing to get is used to watching one-minute Instagram videos or TikTok videos. And so they have to keep the eye constantly entertained because their ear is not listening with any depth. But I was so disappointed. Not, not yeah. like I said... It's the reality of the business, unfortunately. The you know, if, I, if I made a classic story, I would have to constantly think about energizing visuals constantly because people wouldn't just settle into a shot and just enjoy what it is. It's like, come on, I mean, one of the things I got into with pacing when one time was like, well, you know, trouble with my business, you know, if the pacing was even just a little faster, just cut to this and this and this. And I'm like, yes, if it were, you know, a music video made now, obviously you'd be jumping around and doing all this stuff. But that's not the way these stories were written and it's not the way these stories were shot. So, you know, the problem is the, is that you're you're not settling down as an audience and settling into something. You're expecting a kind of well, I want gratification every thirty seconds. I got to see something new. I got to see a different. A- you know, I've seen movies where someone climbing a fence and there's five cuts just on. It's like foot, foot goes up, low angle, he goes over, <laughs> high angle, drone shot, he's at the top of the fence, slow motion, he jumps down the fence. It's like he just climbed a fence. You know, and, and the movie I'm thinking of is Taken Three. And Liam Neeson is climbing a fence, and it literally they worked five to six shots into him stepping up to a chain link fence and going over the fence. It took six cuts to get him over the fence. That's ridiculous. And, like, yes. and he's a great actor, and I, I, I'm sure he doesn't really need the help. <laughs> oh, he didn't need the help. They just did it to make that fast, jumpy, you know, different speeds, different, you know, just look at his shoe, here's the sock, here's the thing, here's the my angle, here's a drone shot looking down at him going over it. Now it's kind of all in that, you know, that five-second spot of him climbing over the fence. Let's do all those cuts. And it was like, five cuts to go over the fence? Uh, it's 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 uh it's difficult, you know. As a filmmaker, you want to do cool stuff with your visuals. I'm always thinking of how to move the camera and do it. But unnecessary stuff or cluttering things like that just drive you crazy because you know, oh, I'm cutting to his ear and I'm cutting back here and I'm cutting to another angle. It's like just settle down. It's like fight scenes where it feels like the camera they just put it in a sack and whirl the sack around while people run around. And it's like. Oh, you know, you can't tell who's hitting who, who fell down, who did what. It just the camera's just whirling around in a bag, and it drives you crazy. There's, it, what, I'm very much a fan of the geography of the scene. You have to know the layout, the geography, where the relative uh, positions of the people are at all times, whether they're fighting, whether they're talking, where they are in the in the space that they're in, how the space relates to them. You have to know the geography of it. If you don't know what you're doing in a fight scene. They cut around the geography, so you can't even tell like what's happening, who's standing where, who's doing what. They just whirl it around and and jump cut around, hoping to hide. And you're like, what's happening? Like, who did what? Who fell? What? You know. And too many times that happens because it's just it's a shortcut, sloppy way of doing it. Well, like th- there's um, a beautiful one 
that I saw. Um, I've been watching a lot of On Demand because all the really good movies have been on On Demand. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, one of them was 1917. That was mm-hmm. done beautifully. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. That film is brilliant. I have that on Blu-ray. It's just one I of the most the saddest, but most beautiful movies. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's like watching a play with the canvas of the stage being the entire European theater. You know, it's it, it's so well done. It's so you know. Think of the high wire act of you know the reset on that. Like one actor blows a line, one person misses a cue. You've got to reset all that stuff and do it again. Uh, amazing film. I I, I I walked out of it stunned. I saw it at the Cinerama Dome with uh, my two friends Mike and Dave, and all three of us just sat in silence after it, and then talked about it for about two hours after the movie because it just it's it's a bracing film and it's so wonderful to see that era explored because you don't get a lot of films about World War One, but to have it be the high wire act of the sort of the single take real time story was just amazing but it was done it, as I know it was all done in one shot a lot of stuff and, and all that mm-hmm. but it was still done so simply it yes. was very straightforward it wasn't glitter it wasn't it was the story. It was always the story. Yeah. The story. The story. The story. It was about faces. Yeah, it was about the faces and the places that they were. And you couldn't do glitz because you couldn't cut away. You couldn't cut away to a first shot. You couldn't cut away to an establishing shot. You could not cut away. So you had to have everything that was interesting and important be in one shot. It was amazing. The whole time. And that was yeah, a major well, motion Sam picture. I, was that an independent film? I know it was a major motion picture. It was. A, it was. Yeah, Sam Mendes made it, made it and then sold it for distribution through a studio, of course, to get better uh, things. But it was not a studio developed project. Because no. it was so amazing. It was. It. Oh, I've seen a, um, a few movies, not that many, um, mostly on demand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but um, the other one I really liked was Escape from Pretoria. Did you see that? Oh, I haven't seen that. Who's, who did that? That was with Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, okay. I have not seen that. Yeah, was it's it good. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I th- I liked it. It was about it was in South Africa, and uh, they're they're escaping from Pretoria prison in South Africa, and these are all political prisoners um, against apartheid. And it was just, it was it was really very closed. You you just mm. felt the the closed society, the the prejudice of the guards. The mm-hmm. um, it was it was really I liked it. I thought it was really well done. It got I think it got like um, really good on all the critiques. Um, mm-hmm. But I yeah, that was another one I really liked. That came out last year. <laughs> yeah, of course. It, yeah, check it out. It was like a really good movie. It came out in twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for so many movies that did. Like I, I had a friend who his film was going to drop. Uh, I believe it was March fourteenth, and I think it played one day in the theater, and then they shut the theaters down, and it never played again. And so he, I mean, they just lost their shirt on the budget of the movie because. The whole business plan was predicated on opening it in various major cities to make their money back. Yeah. And they never will. You know, now it's now it's a quote unquote old movie, 
because it came out in 2020. Yeah, and that was that's what happened to Miss Fisher, the Miss Fisher movie, which yeah. I thought was really good. Miss Fisher and the Crystal yeah. Tears. That was a really good movie. Another movie that dropped yeah. just, I mean, it was just like, yeah. just before. There were, it opened in like maybe two theaters in different parts mm-hmm. of the country. Like, I think it was opened in New York. It was, in, it was about to open in L.A., and you could see the closures yep. going, bop, 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 bop. Yep, and you know their business, they're just, their hearts are sinking because their whole business plan was, hey, you know, we got this little movie, we've got a decent budget, we open it in some theaters, we'll get our money back, and we get to make another one. And if you can't play it in the theater, what are you going to do? You know, because most streaming services pay you a flat fee. So, you know, even if you license something to Netflix, the most you might make is like $30,000. And they pay you after the end of the run. So, so say Netflix picks up your indie film, and they go, okay, we'll give you sixty thousand dollars for this movie, and you cost the movie costs two million to make. Because so you're like, okay, well, it's on Netflix. Well, they play it for three years, and then they pay you the sixty. You don't get the sixty up front. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I found out the hard way. Is that what they did to you with Trouble? Um, yeah, that was the offer. I decided not to put trouble on there because they also require exclusivity. You would not be able to put it up anywhere else. Yeah. But then in 2020, if you didn't put it on one of the streaming services, you're not going to get it on anything. <laughs> yeah. It's, fortunately, it's on most streaming services. It just got taken down from Amazon Prime in black and white, which is unfortunate. It's still on color, on demand on Amazon in color, but um, it is streaming on other services. My, my favorite is Tubi TV. I don't know if you know Tubi. They have a lot of old classic movies on there, too. Um, do you ever watch Tubi TV? I do, actually. I was watching it before I talked to you. No, <laughs> the color version is on Tubi TV, and I would say right now that's the best place for independent people because, as you know, it does have some commercials, but those commercials pay the people that made the, the content, the movies. So uh, it's a really nice way to have a little bit better uh, income on your hard work because um, you get a portion of that advertising. I, that's one of the reasons I dropped the YouTube channel was mm-hmm. because it, it, I don't mind commercials. It was commercials. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot, and, that, and they're monetizing it quite a bit. Yeah. But with Tubi, you get a better percentage of those commercials. So I think that's not pointing people. It's in a little little block. It's not like like you're not waiting ten minutes for the movie to start. Exactly. Yeah. You don't completely forget like what you were doing in the movie, and you know it's it's back to the days of cable in the early '90s, really. But for for a guy like me who's doing independent films, I have another horror movie that I'm in called Noise in the Middle. And noise in the middle of playing places like that, and if it didn't have that kind of revenue, you know, I wouldn't be able to make a living. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't you know, how, how, you know, this is my day job. So if, if people don't pay for what I make or what I act in or what I direct or produce, it's like it just doesn't come magically. There's not like a secret pot of money that I, you go to. It's like no, you actually can't pirate that. You can't just steal it off YouTube because I can't make anything else, and I'm not going to eat. Right. But I, I, I actually did watch your... Well, I watched it when you gave it to me. But I also watched it on oh. 2B. Oh, thank you. I when, really appreciate it. I was so excited when he said it was there. I was like, yay! Because I get that! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's always wonderful. It's like a little victory that you get something up that, uh, uh, you know, hopefully people enjoy. But also it's so fun to... Uh, 
to have it out in the world and that, that people can find it and if they like old movies and they like noir and stuff they can see that you know it's a love letter from somebody just like them that loves those kinds of movies yeah um, we don't have a lot of time I want you to talk about your new one that you just made ah yeah well I um, I just made a, uh, a new project um, I flew to Atlanta to do it's a sci-fi comedy project it was in partnership with uh, Dell, of all people, and we had to shoot it on a very compressed uh, Dell computers, um, and it was a very compressed schedule. I had to, and you can appreciate this as a writer, I had uh, two people I had to collaborate with on Zoom, and we had to write about 20 scripts. <gasps> in, in, yeah, 20 scripts in about three weeks, and uh, in reading the scripts, and sort of still the idea of me being one of the characters, uh, on it, they were like, you know what, we love, I played this, he's a British uh, uh, artificial intelligence computer that's on board the ship, and I would always read that character, and they're like, we love that character, we want to bring you back, so um, I got to go out and perform that character, as well as being something that I wrote, which was a lot of fun, uh, and, and so for me, it was fun to just get out and film, and the people in Atlanta were amazing, the set was amazing, um, I had a, a tremendous time doing that. And the next thing I want to do is a thing called Islands in the Stars, which uh, is something I'm doing with Vernon and a whole bunch of great Australian talent. Uh, and that is like a Jules Verne uh, sort of treasure island uh, classic tale. It's something that you know your, your grandparents would enjoy on one level and kids will enjoy on another level because it's just an epic classic um, adventure story. And it's set in a very unique kind of universe, but it captures that spirit from uh, from those classic pieces of literature where you would go on a journey and you had these kind of mentors around you. There's a scientist and the next military guy, another one that's all mentoring our heroine. She is going on this uh, journey of discovery for herself, but it, the adventure um, takes you to all these far-flung exotic worlds and all these things. But you know, there's no cursing in it. There's no. It's not. It's not uh, a deconstruction of those. It's as if you pulled an unknown Jules Verne book off the shelf and go, I didn't know Jules Verne wrote this, <laughs> and you open it up and it's this movie. I love that. I love, um, it's like, <laughs> it's like they called Charade the movie that Hitchcock never made. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> because yeah, it's, it's so Hitchcock. <laughs> yes. This is so Jules Verne that you'd be surprised Jules Verne didn't make it, but I think Island in the Stars is going to be a lot of fun. That's cool. My favorite yeah. Jules Verne book is Around the World in 80 Days. Oh, yeah. It's such a great book. That is such you a know, great I was involved with uh, Michael Palin's travel thing, and Michael Palin took the actual journey that uh, Phineas took in the book. He reproduced it. I, I remember that? that. Yes, I do. I yeah, actually watched it. Yes. Yes, so good. So good. I, I love Michael Palin. But yeah, that's a great Jules Verne book. Mine is either 20,000 20, Leagues I love and Master of the World I love as well. I like 20,000 of the Leagues too. I mean, yeah. in the movie, Kirk Douglas was in it, so that doesn't hurt my affection yeah. for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a fantastic movie. And, and James Mason is terrific. Oh, yeah. James Mason. Oh, yeah. James Mason. Yes. James Mason. Yes, I love James Mason. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> Thank you. He makes a really good Nemo. And Nemo's a fascinating character anyway. And I love the, the sort of Victorian high-tech uh, look, you know, it's almost like a steampunk look. Um, 
but I, I definitely want to play in those universes next. So my next film is going to be that. Did you ever see Forever Darling? Forever Darling? No, I did not. Oh my God! James Mason plays an angel, guardian angel of Lucille Ball. Uh, Lucy oh, wow. and Desi. It was the last movie the two of them made together. Uh, okay. And um, and and and, and she, she goes. If you're a guardian angel, why do you look like James Mason? And she goes, I look the way you want me to look. <laughs> I look the way you want me to look. I love it. I love He's it. adorable. My mom, uh, I, I had never seen it. They, it was one of those movies because of the licensing they held. And every time Long Long Trailer came on, my mom goes, this is a good movie. I, I enjoy it as much as you. But you've got to see Forever Darling because she just loves that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll have to see that. I, 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 I must be rare uh, as far as being able to find it because it, I haven't run across it. And I, I'm a big James Mason fan, so I'll have to see what streaming service or who has it. Oh, uh, I'm. Yeah, I, I, I think I, it's on. I, I think it's on Amazon Prime. I think that's how I saw it. I don't know the way Amazon Prime has been going. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I know. And it was also on. Yeah. It was also on TCM, because I saw it on there, too. Because they were having, like, a Lucy, a Lucy and Desi festival. They were showing Long Long Trailer oh, and all that stuff. That's great. Yeah, I'll look, at, I'll look for it. I'll seek it out. But you made me think of it when you... You made me think of it when you did his his impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> James Mason? Yeah. Do, do the thing... I'd love to have worked with him. <laughs> do the, do the where, where he says, well, you wanted me to be this... <laughs> <laughs> I'm exactly how you wanted me to appear. That's <laughs> <laughs> very good. I love it. Um, Thank you. Not many people do with James Mason. Let's face it. I know, and unfortunately, even though he was one, his Academy Award, Tony-winning, Emmy-winning actor, BAFTA-winning, people don't know who he is now. Yeah, I know. Well, we will keep it alive. Yeah, definitely. definitely keep it alive. But I mean, just show put people down in front of North by Northwest and say, "How can you not love this guy?" Exactly. I mean, he was a great yeah. villain. Yeah. Oh, he was. He was fantastic. And he, he was, was like the first Bond villain, really. He he was he was really scary in that movie. Like, yeah, he was. Yes, your next performance, <laughs> Mr. Thorndike. Yeah. And him and Martin Landau together. Ugh. Yes, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. What was it he, he said? Uh, Has anyone ever told you you overplay your various roles rather severely, Mr. Captain? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you're like, oh my god, I love that. Oh, that's really good. I love it. You do a really good. <laughs> Hopefully, one. I get the voice work doing uh, doing James Mason. <laughs> <laughs> I've always liked him. The first time I ever saw yeah. him was uh, Agatha Christie, Evil Under the Sun. Yeah. He played one. He played one of the suspects. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's fantastic. He was fantastic. But yeah, I, I you got to see Forever Darling just to see him as the guardian angel. I will. I'll, I'll seek that out. It, it, it's probably a little hard to find. I'll look for it on Amazon or, uh, as you said, TCL. But, uh I'll tell you one thing. I'm sure glad the world is starting to come back because I miss making movies, I miss acting, I miss seeing people at auditions, I miss writing and doing things with people, and I, I miss live 
live events in general. I, I do too. I I, I, yeah. I want to go see a play so bad. I want the hell. I'd like to go see a movie at a movie house. <laughs> I was like, play? I haven't even seen a movie in a year. You know, it's it's insane to just go and have that communal experience you took for granted. Now I, I will never take that stuff for granted. I know. I mean, I have watched some Zoom plays. Um, um, sure. Uh, Greg Oppenheimer did a really good recreation of a play on his YouTube channel. Uh, he, mm-hmm. He's um, Jeff Oppenheimer's son. And he did a, a recreation of I Love Lucy, too. Um, oh, that's cool. And um, I saw a thing called Shakespeare, uh, Streaming Shakespeare, where they, they did... Uh-huh. I mean, I sat there watching Zoom for uh, Richard III, which is like five uh-huh. hours. I was sitting there five watching hours. until like 2 o'clock in the morning, because <laughs> that's how good wow. it was. Wow, that's fantastic. That's a tribute to how good they made it. And with the difficulties of not having stage movement or being able to touch the other actors and uh, just was it, were they each in their own frame or yeah. were they isolated together? Oh, wow. But the, the way they did it was really clever. Like, um, he, somebody would be, uh, he, he would ask for his sword and you would see somebody from one of the other um, squares handing it out and then he would reach out and he would take it. It was very cleverly mm-hmm. directed. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, I had fun doing the radio shows. The Scrooge thing and the and the, the Dracula thing we did just kept me sane. Yeah. Yeah. I, I miss performing, and I, I definitely miss directing and making movies. So hopefully, hopefully this year is better. I hope so. I hope for everybody. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Um, it's a pleasure talking to you. It's really good to be back on the show. Thank you. Uh, for the people who haven't heard you before, could you give your website and any social media that you, and with the name handle for each social media so people can find you Absolutely. and say hi? <laughs> sure. Um, you can find me um, on Instagram. I'm Tom Conkle, one word. Uh, the movie is Trouble Is My Biz, B-I-Z. It uh, has its own Instagram. Uh, you can find my website is troubleismy.biz, B-I-Z. Um, and I have updates and things on my um, company, my production company is called Luminactus, and that's luminactus.com. So uh, love to hear from some people. Hit me up on Twitter or uh, Instagram. Let me know if you've watched the film or seen anything that I've done. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. It's great hearing from you. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Ari.